Father in heaven, we thank you that though we are Pharisees, that you have received us graciously through your son Jesus. And Lord, even though in so many ways we continue in our, our foolish ways, we come to you just as we are without one plea, and you receive us for the sake of your son. Bless our time studying your word this morning, Lord. Nurture in us a, a deeper affection for and understanding of the work of our Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, if you got your Bible, if you don't, uh, we've got some more over here. Feel free to grab one. We're in Hebrews chapter 3, the latter half of Hebrews chapter 3. And we're going to be talking about listening. I've been reading up recently, noticing uh, more and more articles talking about noise pollution. The New Yorker had an article not too long ago. The big headline read, is noise pollution the next big public health crisis? And uh, we've got some, some numbers for you on the decibel scale. And this maybe is not news for some of you, but to me, I thought this was really interesting. You know, they say that 85 decibels is like the safe amount of, for your hearing, okay? Some of you are like, what? <laughs> so I'm just gonna count down from the top here. So at the top, it has 140 decibels, fireworks, right? And I mean, you know this, dogs are like, yes. We know, we've been trying to tell you this. Um, 130 decibels for the jet engine. That's why whenever you see those guys out there at the airport, they've got those big things on their ears. Yes, can, uh, piano. Uh, and of course, uh, the siren is 120 decibels. Hey, it's all in tune. He's on tune. We may have a prodigy on our hands. And that's how we discovered that he would. Um, let's see, is Ben... Ben Stoops isn't here, but I had to break it to him. Trombone is 110 decibels. Helicopter, 100 decibels. It surprises me that's not higher. If you're close to it, probably even higher. But here we go, especially for you ladies. At 90 decibels, a hair dryer. Oh, you put that thing right in here. Lights are flickering on and off, you know. Uh, it's like sticking your head in the microwave. Um, now it gets a little bit lower. A truck at 80 decibels, like a big semi. The car, just a car, normal car, is at 70. Normal conversation, like when they used to tell you in, in uh, uh, elementary school, you know, inside conversations, that's at 60 decibels. Your refrigerator is constantly in the background at 50 decibels. Rain's at 40 decibels. The rustle of leaves at 30 decibels. And then at 20 decibels, a whisper. And so that got me to thinking, you perhaps recall that famous story involving Elijah in 1 Kings 19. Elijah's on the run from the Lord. He's up there on, on Mount Hermon, and he's looking for the presence of the Lord. And here came a great big fire. I don't know what that is, 120 decibels, say. The Lord was not in the fire. Then came an earthquake, 150 decibels. The Lord was not in the earthquake. And then a great wind came. We all know from the last few days what that sounds like. Decibels. We timed it at the lake. There you go, 100 decibels. The lake, the lake and the waves. Yeah. But the Lord was not in the wind. And then came what? The sound of a still small voice. Or other translations say, a gentle whisper. And that was the Lord speaking to Elijah. My question for you as we start today is, what are some of the things, the noisemakers in our contemporary modern life that keep us from being able to hear God's still small voice, that keep us from being able to hear that gentle whisper? 
Yeah, Andrew. I would say politics. Okay, so <laughs> that old whipping boy, just politics in general. And perhaps especially maybe cable news, this sort of thing. Okay, yeah. What else? What are some of the... I know, Ellen, I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Ellen's running for office, but she's trying to make it better. Yeah. To make it good. To make it good. That's right. Thank you. Yes. Football. Football. Boo. Boo. That's too close. That's too close to home. But, you know, I mean, stadiums, stadiums will do this. Where, like, they used to do it at the Silver Dome. They'll actually have, like, louder, louder, and they'll show the decibel thing on the, on the screen. Yeah, Leslie. The phone's pinging. You have a no oh, message. Oh, yes, right. So if their phone is just on and it's pinging all the time, we're just like Pavlov's dogs, right? We hear that ping and we start drooling. Like, oh, what's happening? Yeah, it's a noisemaker for sure. The stress on that, I read an article about it, is just from your ping is incredible. Yeah, just the stress level. Uh, and you don't know what's going to be there, but it's just that it's there. Just that I, it's there. I was having a massage once, and I hadn't silenced my phone completely, and yeah. it went ping, and I could feel it. You could just it feel it warm. immediately. Yeah, and yeah. you don't feel it when you're just around. Just a visceral reaction so turn, to it. Turn it down. Turn it down. Turn it off. Yes, Sarah? Busyness. Just busyness is one of these things where we're not able to hear the voice of the Lord because we've got so many other... Voices we need to listen to, things we got to do. Yes, sir. Background music and TV. Just background music and TV. So just literally having sound going all the time. I mean, I've found, and perhaps you have as well, that sometimes a long drive or just a commute can be a really good time for prayer and for, for talking with the Lord. But not if we have a hard time ever turning off the radio, right? Or turning off the podcast. I like listening to him as much as the next guy. But that's a, maybe a missed opportunity sometimes to listen to his voice. Yeah, Court. I've noticed up here it's kind Louder. of... Louder. <laughs> oh, seriously, they can't hear you over there. <laughs> yes, right. Oh. Go ahead, Court. Up here it's relatively quiet, but we went down to my son's down in Allen Park, yes. Detroit area, and there is a roar in the city. Yeah. Constantly. In the city, there's just, that, there's just that din in the background always. Now, I was over at camp yesterday for the um, confirmation retreat, and Camp Arcadia, as many of you know, has their tagline. Correct me if I get it wrong, but something to the effect of, God doesn't speak any louder at Arcadia. It's just a little easier to hear him, right? something like that. Well, that's what, one of the things that we're going to be taking up here in our text today as we turn to Hebrews 3, the voice of the Lord and us listening to him. So we're picking up at verse 7. Let me read to us from verses 7 through 11. Therefore, the preacher says, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Okay, so here the preacher of Hebrews is turning another corner and saying, okay, going back to uh, verse 6, Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. We are God's house, and now he wants to draw a comparison, an analogy from the Old Testament to point out what a danger could be so that we would not become too puffed up. 
First, though, as we, before we dig too deep into that, I just have to draw attention to this note just in passing in verse 7. He just says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and then he quotes from Psalm 95. Now, how interesting is this? Number one on your, your handout here, the Holy Spirit spoke and speaks through the Holy Scriptures. I mean, this is a foundational to our doctrine of divine inspiration, the biblical inspiration. And other scriptures within the New Testament underline the same point. For instance, 2 Peter 1, Peter says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Love how he puts it there, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And then even more famously, 2 Timothy 3, All scripture is breathed out by God. Say, breathed out by God. Breathed out by God. And the Greek word there is theopneustos, which you can see theo, if you underline theo, that means God. And then pneustos, you can see is the word for breath or breathing. Like pneumonia, we don't pronounce the P in English. Pneumonia is bad breath <laughs> in the sense that your breathing is not good. Theopneustos means breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. So I love how the preacher just throws that out there in passing. The Holy Spirit says. When we talk about the divine inspiration of Scripture, what, we're, what we mean is that while human beings wrote down what we have in the Bible, they were, they were ever and always being carried along by the Spirit. It wasn't either or. It wasn't just a human document, nor was it just a divine document. The Bible didn't drop to us out of heaven one day. But both these things are true at the same time. It's a divine, divinely human document, even as our Lord Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. And thus, the Holy Spirit says. So any thoughts or questions about biblical inspiration? It's not the, the focus of the Bible study, but I thought it's worth pointing out there. Any questions about kind of the mechanics of that doctrine or how we teach it? Patrick, heads up, we're going to be needing a sound system, so if you hear gotcha. things coming through, Okay, fair enough. Thank you. We'll try to listen to God's voice, even so. Um, okay, so the preacher points out Psalm 95. And what's interesting is Psalm 95 itself was hearkening back to the experience of the Israelites in the wilderness. And so you've kind of got two layers here. You've got that initial layer as the, as the psalm was sung and used in worship, uh, which was already pointing backwards to the experience of the Israelites. And then you have it now being brought forward into the, well, at the time of uh, when Hebrews was written, and now still to us today. But it continues to be relevant. So number two on your handout, when the Lord spoke to the Israelites of old, they hardened their hearts. They hardened their hearts. Now, this is alluding especially to, um, well, a couple of instances. One was in the book of Numbers when uh, God had sent out some spies to go into the promised land. You remember this story? To, to check it out and to see what's it going to be like. And when they got there, they saw, oh my gosh, these guys are huge. We've got no chance. If we try to run up against them, we're going to be slaughtered. And so they come back and they're all disappointed. And they say, oh, we, we're, we're not going to be able to do it. So this um, selection from Numbers 14 says, All the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. 
wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Now, that was the reaction of most of them. Incidentally, not everybody had that reaction. Do you remember who were the two guys who actually did believe what, um, that God was still going to bring them in? I mean, this is Joshua and, and Caleb. Very good. Yeah, so Joshua and Caleb, they still were steadfast in faith. But all the rest, they were like, oh, what's going to happen to us? Now, ironically enough, later they, were, they changed their mind and they're like, wait a second, no, we will go. And God's like, guys, don't go now. You missed your window. If you go now, you're going to get slaughtered. And they're like, we're going to do it anyway. And they did. And what happened? They got slaughtered. They got slaughtered. So there it is. Uh, it also is alluding here, uh, Psalm 95 is, to Exodus 17, that moment of um, striking the rock with the water. And the people grumbled and quarreled. They tested the Lord. And Exodus 17, 7 says, he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel. And because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? And so this was the experience of the Israelites of old. When they heard God's voice, they hardened their hearts rather than listen to and hearken to what he had to say. But now the preacher is trying to lead us, even as the psalmist was, that now when the Lord speaks to the new Israel, to us as the people of God, we listen to his voice. We listen to his voice. Now, maybe first I need to establish that claim that we are the new Israel. Not everybody believes this. But throughout the New Testament, we get um, many indications that the church is now the new Israel, that we are the, the heirs and the successors to the promises and the covenants that God made with his Old Testament people. To give but one example from Galatians 3. Know then, Paul writes, that it's those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. That now those who have faith in Christ Jesus we are the true sons of Abraham, Jew and Gentile alike. I mean, this was the, the um, essence and the content of John the Baptist's preaching right at the beginning. Don't say to yourselves, you know, I am a, a son of Abraham. God is able from these stones to raise up sons of Abraham, right? So now, as the church, as those who trust in Christ, we are the new Israel. And what does God say to us? Listen, just as he said to the people of old, at the transfiguration, God speaks out of the cloud. He says to Peter and James and John, Peter especially, as he was prattling on and running his voice, God said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus says in John 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. They listen. And of course, that recurring refrain from Jesus in his teaching, he says it in Mark 4 and elsewhere, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And so the scripture says, the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now that raises the obvious question then. Well, okay, but how do we hear his voice? Like, are we just talking about, you know, the, some kind of voice from heaven? And if I was getting that, I think I would, you know, tune in and say, oh, I really ought to listen to that. What are some of the ways in which we do hear and receive God's voice still today? Take a walk. Take a walk, and why does that help to hear God's voice? Well, you just have a chance to reflect on where you're at and where you're moving to. Yeah, it's a, you have a chance to reflect on, on where you're at and where you're moving to. The other day, I was out walking. Linda, I ran into, he probably told you, to your husband, Steve, um, as I was out walking on, uh, I think they call it the Camp Arcadia Trail, actually. One of our, Chief Trail. The, 
well, not the Chief Trail, but the, the one as part of the, the Conservancy dunes over off of Taylor Road. Oh. And uh, Steve said, you know, you, are you out here working? <laughs> I said, well, yeah, I kind of am. Because uh, being out there walking is a way in which clear, clear your thoughts and pray to the Lord. Lord, I hope they don't get too mad when I call them all Pharisees, <laughs> call myself a Pharisee. But um, so walking can be a, an important way that we listen to the Lord's voice. Yeah. What are other ways that we, we hear God's voice? From his written word. From his written word. Yeah, most especially, right? And we saw this right at the beginning of Hebrews. Flip back there to, pay, to chapter one. It's worth looking at once again. This is how the book starts. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So these holy scriptures testifying to the apostles and the prophets, testifying to our Lord Jesus, we listen to his voice speaking still through the holy scriptures. Good. Other ways that we listen to the Lord's voice. Yes, Esther. Through godly preachers. Through godly preachers. Yes. I mean, Lord willing, that's the, that's the idea, right? That... The, the preacher stands up there not in his own wisdom or authority, but in the authority of God's word, proclaiming and bringing his truth to his people. Yes. Yeah, Judy. Prayer. Through prayer and through that, that time of, of communing with the Lord and speaking to him and hearing that, that gentle, that low whisper, right? Any other ways? Yeah, Christine. Listening to Christian music. Okay, sure. To, I, for me. Uh-huh. I believe that you, know, you hear just what you need to hear at just the right time. He puts that right there. Sure. Thank you. Yeah, so listening to Christian music, I, I would say whether it be kind of old-fashioned sacred hymns or whether it be kind of contemporary music, and in both cases, part of where it gains its, not part of, but I mean where it gains its power from is from the word as well. Now it's brought and, and put to music. Yeah, good. Leslie, you're going to answer. In our dreams. Okay. In your dreams. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So say more about that. Yeah. And just as you're going to sleep or just as you're waking up, it goes boom, there's your solution. Right. Whatever. And, you know, I've, I've had him speak to me many times like that. Yeah, I really think that there's something about in our dreams that our defenses are down, right? That the Lord's able to connect with us. And I know Bob can attest uh, in many places in the, the two thirds world, that more so than in our own country, in our own Western civilization, there's. Christians who will testify, you know, they were, they were Muslim, they were other religions, and they, God communicates to them through dreams in many and various ways, right? But that points out also why um, you're listening to the Lord, receive something in a dream, you still want to test it against Scripture, right? You still want to test it against His revealed Word, because there's all kinds of people who will say, oh yeah, I, I heard the voice from the Lord and He told me to do this and that thing. Um, the, the prophets in the Old Testament will often speak against the false prophets who say, you know, I've, I've got a new revelation, right? Um, so it's not that God can't speak through a dream, but that we always want to test it still against his, his written authoritative word, too. Yeah, go ahead, Leslie. Well, one thing I'm hearing from all of this, too, is that he speaks to us when our defenses are down. Right. If we're going, la, 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 right. not going to hear. I mean, this is Stephen, too. Remember Stephen in Acts chapter 7? He's, he's proclaiming the word of God. And what do the people do when they hear, or when, they're, when they don't want to hear him? They're literally covering their ears because they recognize this is God speaking. I can't, I can't stand for it. One more. Oh, maybe Cindy. Oh, I, I had an experience where um, 
I was, uh, my defenses were down, I was at the end of a retreat and things were chaotic and I, I still couldn't find peace even though I mm. that was the purpose of the retreat. And um, on the way home, I'm driving with my girlfriend and the chaos is going on and on and I was so discouraged. Mm. And, you know, I said, this is never gonna get better. And all of a sudden, I, I literally heard, I don't know if it was in my spirit or whatever, but I heard the words, be patient. Mm. And I was like, looked what? at her and said, did, did you, you just say something? And she said, no. <laughs> I'm like, are you nuts? But I mean, that lines up with the word. Yes. And that just came. Yeah. And it was, I, I held on to those two words for Quite a few years yeah. after that, I would keep going back to what, remember what he told you? Yes. Yes, what did she hear? So she, she heard, be patient. Yeah. Be patient. I mean, not a big thing. No, well, but, but it is a big thing. that is a big thing, right? Yeah. It takes a lifetime to learn that one. Uh, but I have no time for it. Um, <laughs> so, but, but I, I guess yeah. the chaos in my, within me was so severe yes. that just that those, those words yep. from the Lord were, you know, like... Got your attention. Yeah. Be patient. Be still. Just know that I'm God. Yep. So, let, uh, one, I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead, Ruta, and then... Uh, other Christians. Okay, other Christians. And this was the one that I was waiting to, to hear, right? <laughs> through, yeah. through one another. Right. Through the mouth of one another. And you've had those times, too. Not only where you have received something, but where you've said something, and you're like, where did that come from? That's right. I don't know how I said that. Um, Spirit gives us those words sometimes to be able to speak and encourage others. Clearly, clearly, the Lord speaks through our wives. To this, amen, amen. Clearly, clearly, God speaks through our wives. Yes. Occasionally, our husbands, especially our wives. So today, if you hear His voice through your wife, through His word. Listen, listen. And so now, turning then to verse 12 and, and following, he's, he's going to bring this home, the preacher is. But take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it said, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Okay, so number one on this next section. Beware the subtle and deceptive path to apostasy. It's a big word, but it's really what the preacher is talking about here in Hebrews. Um, our ESV that I read from, that translation says, leading you to fall away from the living God. The Greek word is aphistemi, which literally means to stand away. But this is where we get this word apostatize, or to, to turn away from God, uh, to fall away. Now, fall away can be a little bit misleading, I think, because it gives the idea like, oh, I just, you know, I was, I was holding on tight in faith, and what do you know? I just fell backwards. How did that happen? Uh, but it, John Kleinig, uh, whose commentary I've been using for um, our study here of Hebrews, he lays out the path to apostasy. I think this is biblical. He just kind of um, sets it up. So not to become a Pharisee. Well, maybe so. Uh, maybe there's some, some commonalities here. He says, first of all, you listen to the voice of temptation rather than the voice of God. 
We all do that, right? That we all give into that. I shared that story in the children's message of you know listening to that voice of temptation to take the cookie rather than the voice of God. That happens. But the second step is you nurture acceptance of sin. So not only do you listen to that voice of temptation, but you start to repeatedly do it. And you nurture within your spirit an acceptance of it. And then thirdly, he says, you grow embittered with God. Why do you grow embittered with God? Because your own conscience knows that that sin is still not right. right? And so you try to nurture that acceptance, but you can't help but feel that battle, that struggle within you. And so you become embittered with God that he has said otherwise. Then fourthly, you distrust God's word. Oh, this, this word, it's, it's not reliable. I can't count on it. This doesn't jive with my own experience. And so I need to just set it aside. And then finally, and this is really where that falling away or turning away ends, is with disbelieving his provident presence, Kleinig says. Disbelieving his provident presence. So is the Lord among us or not? finally get to that place. Now, how does this happen? And to me, I think this is, uh, I mentioned screw tape letters and here this just one of the most famous quotes from C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters. Again, this is a demon writing to his nephew, another demon, about trying to lead this way, this man away from the true God. Lewis says, you will say that these are very small sins and doubtless, like all young tempters, you're anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. And by the enemy, he means God. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards, if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Does that give goosebumps to anyone else? The safest road to hell is the gradual one. Uh, the slippery slope. Uh, the, the slippery slope that you're sliding on and you don't even recognize it. Yeah, Carla. I think Psalm 1 is the one that really speaks to me on that. It says, blessed is the man who does not walk yeah. in the way of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, Sit in the seat of mockers, so it's a gradual yep. you know, progression. You're walking, you're standing, and then you sit. Yep. You really absorb that's, a, ah, that's really good. Did you guys hear that from Psalm 1? Just that progression, walking, standing, sitting, just getting more and more comfortable. It's like the old thing they say about the boiling the frog, which we're all prone to do from time to time. <laughs> you, put it, you don't put it in the boiling water. You slowly heat it up until you don't recognize, recognize that you're lobster too. <laughs> Those fools. Those poor guys. Uh, but I think this is it's a, it's a salutary word. It's an important word for us to hear, to recognize. Um, you don't just one day wake up and apostatize. You don't just one day wake up and say, oh, I don't believe in God, right? It happens slowly. Now, that can be troublesome because you might not even recognize it, but it also means that there's continual opportunities all along the way to turn back, to repent, and, you know, people will always ask about the so-called unforgivable sin, right? Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. I'm afraid, Pastor, that I committed the sin against the Holy Spirit, the unforgivable sin. I've said it before, I'll say it again. If you're worried that you committed the unforgivable sin, you have not committed the unforgivable sin. 
right? Because if you have done that, you've utterly, totally turned away from God and you couldn't care less about him. See? Insofar as our heart is pricked, our conscience is, is pricked, then you're not, you are not lost. When should we write somebody else off that they are totally lost? When should we decide yeah. that they yeah, are... We should. Oh, okay, good. That's right. This is not for us to decide, right? This is not for us to decide or to determine so-and-so is, is totally lost. It's in the sight of God. Yeah, Bob? I think it's really important to note in the flood, Noah preached a hundred years, mm. but it's the Lord Jesus who shut the door. Oh, wow. Noah preached a hundred years calling people to repentance, but he's not the one who shut the door. The Lord shut the door, right? Um, that's his business, right? That's God's business, not our business. Our business is to continue to hold out the word of hope, to keep knocking on that door. Yeah. And so the solution, as the preacher puts it here, so you've got people who are, are, are losing heart, are falling away, turning away from God. So he says in verse 13, but to the contrary, exhort one another Every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And so there's a, a felicitous turn of phrase here. Number two on your hand, I put it this way, that the solution to falling away is to call alongside. The solution to falling away is to call alongside. What I mean by that is the, the word translated exhort, the Greek word is parakaleo, which literally means to call alongside. <coughs> From which we get the word the paraclete. This is a name that's applied to the Holy Spirit also to our Lord Jesus, but um, especially to the Holy Spirit as the paraclete, as the encourager, the one who, who comes alongside us, who speaks those words in our ears. Be patient, be steadfast, look to the Lord, right? This is what it means to encourage. And so the preacher is talking to you and me, especially when we see somebody who is meandering down that soft, gradual path to perdition, don't let them go that way, but instead of letting them fall away, call them alongside, right? Summon them and go alongside them yourself. This is fundamentally what it means to encourage. Encouragement is the antidote to apostasy. Encouragement is the antidote to apostasy. That when we are able to, to spur one another on, to, to call them on and to call them alongside, we battle back those tides of disbelief, this is what so many folks need to hear and don't get to hear because they're just forgotten or left by the body of Christ. But when we encourage one another, we help each other to see the end. When we encourage one another, we help each other to see the end. So he says, we've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. This is why we so often give up, why folks fall away in faith, why they start to despair they can't see a way forward, whether because they're, they're mired in sin or in some way the evil one has blinded their eyes. They think there's no path forward. When we encourage one another, we help each other to see the end. To give an example from 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul is writing to encourage the Thessalonians. He says, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we'll always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. 
to people who are, are struggling or are um, having difficulty in the life of faith, Paul points to the end times, to the coming of Christ, to the renewal of all things. He says, encourage one another with these words as well, to keep heart, not to, not to lose heart when the going gets tough. I heard a great uh, illustration of this from Pastor Brian Davies over there at the confirmation retreat with, uh, with our kids this weekend. He shared this story about a gal by the name of Florence Chadwick. Anybody know that name, Florence Chadwick? Is that the swimmer? She was the swimmer. She was a competitive swimmer, and she was, I think, the first woman to, to swim the English Channel. And then her ne- for her next feat, she was going to swim the 26 miles from Catalina Islands in Southern California to the coastline. She was going to swim a marathon. And not just you know, a marathon in a pool, but out in the ocean, right? She was going to do this incredible swimming feat. And there were boats that were to, to come alongside her um, in case you know, she got sick, to look out for sharks, to make sure that she was going to make it safely. Well, on the day when she was doing the swim, uh, a great fog fell upon the ocean. And she's just swimming in this fog and going and going and going. And the, the folks, uh, her mom was even in one of these boats coming alongside her, trying to encourage her to spur her on. But she just she couldn't hear it because all she could see was the fog the fog that had set in until finally she gets to a point point. she says, I can't do it anymore. Get me out of here. Are you sure? I can't go any further. I want out. She gets out of the water. She gets into the boat and suddenly realizes she was a half a mile away from shore. They couldn't tell her that? It's practically spitting distance. I'm not sure they knew either. Uh, and she said later, all I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. When all you can see is the fog, when you're stuck in that place, you're not able to even hear uh, the, the voice of others. You get stuck and mired in that place. You think, I, I can't go any further. That's why it's so important for us to be able to see the end. What, what is the goal? Where are we headed to? Maybe it's those intervening goals in our life of like just trying to see a, a light at the end of the tunnel. Or maybe it's that big picture goal of of heaven and the resurrection the the coming of christ later um i'm not sure how much later it was but she would do it again and she had this mental mindset that even she knew even if it was going to be foggy i've just got to keep my eyes on the prize it should be in the bible it's so good (laughs) and she did and she was able to make it so for us as fellow believers in the body of christ so important for us to call alongside folks who are struggling and to point to the end, to point to the future, to say, this, this isn't all there is, right? There's hope. There's hope. Thoughts on that? Yeah, Ruta. Yeah, when you said the one in Exodus, is the Lord among us or not? Right. And when you've been talking about this, all I can think of is the poor people in Ukraine who have no electricity anymore, mm. and winter is coming, mm-hmm. and, it's, and Putin says he's going to make it worse for them. Right. Is there, is there any hope? <laughs> so how would you encourage them? I mean, where's the... I've lost with that. Right? Yeah. Well, I think in, in that is with anything. It's, with prayer. Yeah. I mean, I keep praying yeah. for them. Right. I know, right? Yeah. Um, no, I mean, the deep, dire things that folks will go through. I mean, you read stories of, of prisoners of war. How do you go through that? Um, I mean, it's so devilishly challenging. We yeah. can't even imagine how we would do it. Absolutely. I, I mean that quite literally. But to come alongside one another is in those moments of our own darkness we need that view of the of the end anybody care to share of a time when you've been encouraged or when somebody was able to to spur you on perhaps when you found yourself in a place of 
seeing the fog and you're wondering, what am I going to do next? I just kind of put that out there. I don't know if anything comes to mind or you feel comfortable sharing. Yeah, Ellen. There was a story a woman shared with me a long time ago about her, I think it was about her mother. Yeah. But they were, had a lot of kids. They were really, really poor. They hadn't gotten a lot of food. They grew their own food. They didn't have a lot put up. She went down to the um, garbage dump or something. Mm. And she was looking for things that she could use because they needed stuff. Yeah. And she was just sat down and was crying. And um, another woman came up and she said, but you have these 12 beautiful, healthy children. Mm. She said, you're rich. Mm. And she said, just turned her mom around. Mm -hmm. And instead of seeing these 12 children as something she couldn't take That's care of. It's a liability. And so sometimes it's that perspective. I've always loved yeah. that story because sometimes we just have to have someone change our perspective. Sure. Yeah, that's a good point. That many times it's the perspective. We look at a perspective of woe is me, all is lost, but instead turn it to look at the hope that's still before you. Yeah. Becky, did you have your hand up? Well, I was kind of reminded of this when we started our uh, Bible study for moms a few months ago. That mm. if all you're watching is TV or um, media influences, you can feel really lost if you're trying to raise your children to be godly people. Like, mm -hmm. you're pretty much a freak because it doesn't match anything. <laughs> So then a bunch of us get together, and guess what? There were like 14 of us who had signed up to be freaks together, and um, we weren't alone, and just like, I'm not the only person yeah. trying to follow the Bible. And it was kind of like, you know, Elijah in the cave, like, well, well way to go, God. I'm just here by myself, yep. and God's like, no, there's hundreds. He's yes. like, oh, really? Oh, really? You know, just like if even Elijah felt like that sure. come around. Yeah, that's a great point and great connection um, that we, we get in that, you can get into that tunnel vision. Oh, I'm the only one. Nobody else ever has or ever is dealing with what I am. And then you sign up and you're like, oh, there's 14 other freaks just like me that would need this. Guys, so, such a, so much of the value of the body of Christ. And in fact, as our, our church's mission in keeping with that heart for Arcadia is sharing God's heart by bringing people together in Christ. Why is that so important? Because we get isolated. We get lonely. Loneliness just steals the joy out of our lives. And even worse than that, it makes us easy marks for the evil one, right? His, one of his strong methods is to divide and conquer because you think it's just me. God's abandoned me. Everyone else has abandoned me. We need each other. We need to come together to recognize I'm not alone, right? God is with me, and he has given to me also these fellow saints in order to travel the, the way of faith. Yeah, absolutely. It's what encouragement is all about. Good. Okay. So then, the preacher turns and, and wants to give a, a hard word, a challenging word to his hearers about what it takes to enter the promised land. He's going to do it with a series of rhetorical questions, kind of in pairs, the second one answering the first one, so to speak. Starting with verse 16, he says, For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Wasn't it all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Wasn't it with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Okay, so bottom line here, and uh, really throughout this section, is take heed, he's trying to say to us, for the chosen people have fallen before. He's drawing out this analogy with the Israelites from the wilderness, from, from um, times, ages past, to say, listen, don't think that just because you are a Christian, 
Just because right now you're part of the church, that you are somehow immune to falling away from the faith. It, you are susceptible to temptation as, as well. Be, a, be warned. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, these things, talking about uh, some of the events from the Old Testament, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. And again, in Romans 11, speaking especially to the Gentile Christians, he says, if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, don't be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it's not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you'll say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That's true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So don't become proud, but fear. For if God didn't spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Don't become proud. Don't become complacent in the faith. Right? Remain vigilant and diligent in following after the Lord Jesus. It's meant to, these stories that we hear from the Old Testament are meant to serve as examples and warnings for us still today. And so, he says, what we need is the obedience of faith. This is the, the heart of the matter. To whom did he swear that they wouldn't enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Notice that parallel in words there. Disobedient and unbelieving. We might think of those as two different things. That, well, uh, to be disobedient is different than not having faith. But uh, the scriptures also use this phrase, the obedience of faith. Paul uses it in Romans 1. We've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. So is that talking about an obedience that flows from faith? Or is it talking about faith that faith itself is obedience? Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> that it's, it's both of these things. It's not either or, but it's a, a, a both and. And to give a, a couple of, of quotes from more modern theologians along this, one by a name of Leslie Newbegin says, because ultimate reality is personal, God's address to us is a word conveying his purpose and promise, a word which may be heard or ignored, obeyed or disobeyed. Faith comes by hearing, and unbelief is disobedience. He's saying that these are, are, are one and the same, because when we hear, when we listen to God's word, it's God himself addressing us. And so to believe, to listen to him, is itself obedience. In the Hebrew language, they didn't even have a separate word. Many times when it translates obedience in the Old Testament, it's translating the Hebrew word shema, which is the same word for to hear, to hear, to hearken, to listen to. That's the obedience of faith. And our old friend Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the Lutheran pastor, puts it even more simply. Only the obedient believe and those who believe are obedient. Hand in hand, two sides of the same coin. So what does this mean for us then? Just a, a few concluding thoughts of application. First of all, maybe the one that stands out uh, especially, cultivate the discipline of solitude, the spiritual discipline of solitude to attune your ears to God's voice. So important today when there's just noise, noise, noise all over the place. Like Bill said, Go for a walk. You're on your commute. Turn off the radio. Set aside, get up early in the morning before the kids are up or before you know, all the, the din of the day. And you're able to have a few minutes of solitude. 
This quote from Blaise Pascal was making the rounds at the beginning of the, the lockdowns and so forth. He said, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. <laughs> it's probably overstating the case a little bit, but uh, to be able to sit quietly in a room alone, and of course, Pascal as a Christian is, is thinking, to be able to sit quietly in a room alone is to be able to sit quietly in the presence of God. Right? Cultivate that spiritual discipline of solitude solitude. Secondly, nip sin in the bud before it becomes full flower. One of the lessons we learn here that apostasy does, is not just an on-off switch, but it's that slow, gradual process. So James writes in James 1, each person's tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Notice there's that progression there to be aware of. And so when you see things in your life um, that you, you recognize that it's a, a sinful pattern, it's a, a habit that you've gone into, and you're, ah, I know it's not, it's not good, but hey, I'm Lutheran, I'm, I'm saved by grace. Friends, that's true, but that's not a reason or an excuse to allow sin to fester in our hearts. Repent. Call for what it is and petition God's help. Say, Lord, I'm still struggling with this. Help me. Now, does that mean that it's just going to magically go away one day? Probably not. Sometimes, by God's grace, it does. But perhaps the struggle itself is part of our continued growth in faith, right? That as we wrestle with those besetting sins, the Lord is continuing to form you more and more in his likeness. And then finally, just a word of application. is just for us to ask, who needs a word of encouragement, right? Who's somebody in your life that you, you know that you need to, to call them alongside? Say, hey, how can I spur you on? Or maybe you yourself are needing that. Don't be afraid to reach out and say, to, to say to somebody in this room, to call me. Say, you know what? I'm just, I'm struggling. I'm having a hard time. I need a word of encouragement. All I can see right now is the fog. Can you help me to see the end? There's no shame in that, friends. We all go through those seasons and those times. What Satan wants us to do is, is to think we're the only ones that ever deal with that and to keep us alone in that. There's other freaks out there, like Becky said. <laughs> the faithful freaks in the body of Christ, you are not alone. Receive that encouragement. All right. Yeah. Sorry, one more thing. The words of encouragement. Amy Meyer at the second women's retreat sent or gave a whole bunch of things that God calls us. And those are the words that people need to hear. Yeah. God, God calls you a child, uh, and she had 15 or 20 of them. Yes, to call, to encourage one another with God's truth. Yes. To bring us back to God's truth. This is what's true of you, not the lies that the deceiver would try to bring you. Thank you, Ruth. All right, God be with you. Be encouraged. Have a great week, and we will see you again soon. Thank you.